Before we dive into today's episode, I want to tell you about a free three-act worksheet to help you structure your story. Whether you're a plotter or a pantser, a novelist or short fiction writer, this three-act worksheet will help you navigate your material and even begin each new story with a better plan. Download yours at nancypinuccio.com forward slash act. Stop getting stuck in the middle of your draft. Go grab this free worksheet, nancypinuccio.com forward slash act. One of the most crucial craft elements as a fiction or memoir writer is to learn to insert information in a story in a way that the reader isn't aware it's there. So the exposition is embedded in the story so that the reader registers the information, but isn't aware of being told anything. Writer Unleashed is for you, a writer who has a story you want to bring onto the page and into the hearts and minds of readers. I'm Nancy Pinuccio, writer, editor, and writing coach. And each week, we'll explore techniques, mindsets, and inspiration for writing stories readers can't put down. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let's begin. exposition is too much. When is it okay to use exposition? Should you begin your story with exposition or should you just launch into your story with action? And how do you include exposition in a way that isn't awkward or dull? In today's episode, I'm going to talk about the two types of exposition and how to write exposition in a way that doesn't sound like exposition. Okay, let's get to it. Before we dive in, what is exposition? Exposition is information that the story needs in order to proceed. It's simply a way of conveying essential information the reader needs to know in order to continue with the story. Now, exposition could be background information about the characters. It could be details about where they live, where the story takes place. Sometimes the exposition will have information about significant events that happened before the story began so that we can have better insight into what's happening in the present. Now, in the classic model of story structure, the Freytag pyramid, the first thing that happens in the story is exposition. It's at the base of his pyramid. And then we have an inciting incident. We have rising action, climax, falling action, and resolution. Now, Freytag was a German novelist who created this pyramid as a, a visual tool to illustrate dramatic structure after observing the similarity of plots during that time. So it was his way of analyzing the plot structure of dramas. Now, Freytag created this model back in the 1800s 
And stories have evolved a lot since then. So I think it's mostly a very outdated model for the most part. But my point is you do not have to start a story with exposition. It's not a requirement. I personally prefer stories that don't start with exposition or start with very little, but it really depends on the needs of the story. I've read plenty of stories that start with a little exposition, but what makes it not feel expository is the details and the specificity of the information, and it's relevant. It feels crucial to what follows. So it sets the story in motion. So there's nothing wrong with starting with exposition. Lots of great stories do. So for example, this is from Ethan Kanan's story from his collection, The Palace Thief. In January of 1973, the year everything changed in our family, my older brother, Clive, competed for the mathematics championship of William Howard Taft High School in Shaker Heights, Ohio. The championship was held in the gym where Clive and three other finalists sat at metal desks arranged around the painted tap tiger at center court, working a sheet of problems. I sat in the bleachers with our parents watching him. So this is a good way to start because it sets up a few things we need to know in order to receive the rest of the story. So we already know a few things. We know that something happened that changed this family forever. We don't know what that is, but we know something happened, something momentous. We also know that this is about two brothers. Clive is the older one, and our narrator is the younger brother. We know Clive is smart. We know Clive is a high school student. And we know where this family lives. So we know where the story is set. So starting the story with exposition is often a good strategy. It's just not the only way to start a story. Now, for more on story openings, check out episode 83, Four Ways to Open Your Story. Episode 83, I'll link in the show notes. But don't feel like you have to start with exposition. Here's the thing. There are two types of exposition. There's explicit exposition and there's implicit exposition. Explicit exposition is just straight up information. In January of 1973, the year everything changed in our family, my older brother Clive competed for the mathematics championship of William Howard Taft High School in Shaker Heights, Ohio. It's useful It's neutral, though. It gives us just the facts of the story. But implicit exposition is embedded into the action. It's subtle. Now, most writers only use the explicit kind of exposition, and they overuse it. They use it in their dialogue. They use it in place of scene. But here's the thing. Exposition does not have to be directly stated. Implicit exposition is often a more effective way to slip in essential information. So let's compare explicit exposition and implicit exposition side by side. 
So an example of direct exposition would be something like this. Anna Diaz lived on the south side of Wetherill Street in Regal Park, Queens, across from the Lady of the Angeles Catholic School. Explicit. Nothing wrong with it. It's neutral. There's no character thought. There's no action. It's static. Now, sometimes this is necessary, but it can be awkward, it can be excessive, and it can be dull. Here's the implicit version. She wondered how many other people on the bus would get off at her stop in Regal Park. How would they react if she told them she lived on Wetherill Street, right where the Catholic school had lost 14 students and a teacher to a shooting? So it's the same information, but it's embedded in something that's already dramatic. It's embedded in somebody's thoughts, and the story is already underway. One of the most crucial craft elements as a fiction or memoir writer is to learn to insert information in a story in a way that the reader isn't aware it's there. So the exposition is embedded in the story so that the reader registers the information, but isn't aware of being told anything. So it doesn't feel expository. This is a crucial skill. Here's an example from Sophie's Choice. Now, I've written the opening paragraph to be explicit exposition. And then I'm going to give you the real version, which is more implicit. So here's my explicit version. In the summer of 1947, when I was 22, unemployed and with very little money, I moved to Flatbush, Brooklyn with the hopes of becoming a novelist. So explicit exposition, just the facts. Here's the version from the novel, which is more implicit. In those days, Cheap apartments were almost impossible to find in Manhattan, so I had to move to Brooklyn. This was in 1947, and one of the pleasant features of that summer, which I so vividly remember, was the weather, which was sunny and mild, flower-fragrant, almost as if the days had been arrested in a seemingly perpetual springtime. I was grateful for that, if for nothing else, since my youth, I felt, was at its lowest ebb. At 22, struggling to become some kind of writer, I found that the creative heat, which at 18 had nearly consumed me with its gorgeous, relentless flame, had flickered out to a dim pilot light, registering little more than a token glow in my breast or wherever my hungriest aspirations once resided. It was not that I no longer wanted to write. I still yearned passionately to produce the novel, which had been for so long captive in my brain. It was only that, having written down the first few fine paragraphs, I could not produce any others, or to approximate Gertrude Stein's remark about a lesser writer of the lost generation— I had the syrup, but it wouldn't pour. To make matters worse, I was out of a job and had very little money and was self-exiled to Flatbush, like others of my countrymen, 
another lean and lonesome young southerner wandering amid the kingdom of the Jews. Same information, but it's embedded into his thoughts. It's much more engaging. Okay, one more example where the author uses both explicit and implicit. This is from a story we've been talking a lot about. It's from Emily Robitaille's story, A Portrait of Wildness. So here is the opening paragraph, which is explicit exposition. When the painter August Roundtree picked Ness up at Barnard to bring her to a dinner party at his ex-lover's house, it was to make the woman jealous. Ness was too naive to know this, but smart enough to be suspicious. Contrary to evidence of his paintings, she had never slept with August Roundtree, who was not only 20 years her senior, but also her godfather. She was reluctant to join him because she had an organic chemistry midterm to take at 11 o'clock the next morning. That's explicit exposition. But look at how it moves into implicit exposition. Don't be ridiculous, August insisted when she protested over the phone. I haven't seen you in over a year. I need to make sure you're developing. Okay, so we know from the dialogue that they haven't seen each other in a while. And she says, I have to study. You should have told me you were coming. That's not how I operate, and I didn't fly 3,000 miles not to see you, sweetie. Okay, implicit. It's embedded in the dialogue. And then we move into more explicit exposition. August had moved to Mexico in 1972 and was either a political refugee or an expatriate, depending on who you asked. He owned a sprawling ranch in Cuernacaba, which Ness had visited twice with her mother. He had a habit of showing up at the most inconvenient moments in her life, invariably with demands that made her uncomfortable. So there's a little banter about her chemistry exam. She's reluctant to go to this dinner party. August says he'll help her study after dinner. She said, you don't know anything about chemistry. A little more banter. And then he says, besides, I'm already downstairs. I'm watching you right now. How did you find me? She asked in a thin voice. Of course, she had a feeling he might show up in New York when she learned they were showing his wildness series at the Whitney. This was the first public exhibition of those paintings, and it had been profiled in the Village Voice, along with the famous photograph of him at her age holding a 10-gauge rifle back in his days as a Black Panther. This is all very essential information. Of course, we don't know its significance yet, but as the story progresses, all of this information adds to the drama. This is information we need to know in order to understand what's at stake as the story continues. Now, there's plenty of instances where we're given implicit exposition in the form of dialogue. It's very skillfully done. Here's another instance. Now, August and Ness have brought a pumpkin to this party. And once they've entered Laura's house, 
August says, the pumpkin's for little Nikki. And Laura says, Nick just turned 13. He doesn't go by little Nikki anymore. He dresses like a costumed freak, but technically he stopped celebrating Halloween years ago. And August says, 13, Jesus, where does the time go? The last time I saw him, he was in diapers. Where is the boy? Wally took him to a Yankees game. They'll be back later. Okay, this is really essential information because later on, both the father and son come home and things get ratcheted up even more. It's a great story. But what I want to drive home to you here is that she's using a lot of explicit exposition, but most of it is implicit. And it's feeding us along the way. And it's feeding the information that we need to continue the story. It's brilliantly done. Okay, let's recap. Exposition is essential information the reader needs to know in order to continue with your story. It's not necessary to begin a story with exposition. Now, for more ways to open a story, check out episode 83, Four Ways to Open Your Story. It's also not necessary to think of exposition as something that has to be stated directly. There are two types of exposition, explicit exposition and implicit exposition. Explicit exposition is neutral. It's straight up information. It isn't embedded in the ongoing action or emotion or the character's thoughts. Now, many writers use only explicit exposition, and that can be excessive, awkward, or dull. Implicit exposition is embedded in the story so that the reader registers the information, but isn't aware they're being told anything. Implicit exposition is a crucial skill to cultivate for both fiction and memoir writers because you're weaving exposition into the action, into character thought, into dialogue, into something that's already dramatic. Now, the best way to learn this is to go back to a story you're already familiar with. Just pick something off your bookshelf and look at where the exposition is explicit and where the exposition is implicit. Then go back to something you're working on and see where you can slip in exposition into the forward-moving story to make it more seamless and effective. So there you have it. Thanks for hanging out with me today. And if you know any writers who need some support in their writing, please share this episode or the Writer Unleashed podcast in general. And if you love what you're listening to, subscribe on your favorite listening platform and please leave me a review. Reading how this podcast impacts your writing truly lights me up and helps me create topics for the show. Till next time, keep writing and I'll talk to you soon. 